and is a part of uh, discipling other people in the other nations. God has blessed us with so much, and it's important that we be a blessing to other people. Well, good morning. A um, couple of things before we jump in here. Uh, if, uh, if you are one of those who's kind of wandering in life about what your priorities should be, Tian's book is really a helpful book. I'm partway through it. And uh, if you know Tian at all, it's written just like Tian is. Uh, very down to earth with lots of, uh, lots of helpful things in it. But uh, you can download it between now and June 6 for free. That's the deal. So um, there's some cards back there on the back for that. And then, of course, this is Memorial Day and uh, a reminder of what it means to live in a sinful world where there are wars and as a consequence, there are. There are men and women who have laid down their lives uh, for freedom and uh, grateful for just a fresh reminder of that even last week as we got to know uh, Robert and Tiffany a little bit and Robert lost his dad at, was it two Robert, two or three, uh, because of Agent Orange in Vietnam and kind of threw his family into a tailspin there for a while with was it five kids, five of you? Five, five of you, yeah. And uh, so, won't have them be great. And how important it is that we be the church in a day and age where wars and rumors of wars and death and all kinds of stuff is, is a present reality. And we're called to be the community of God along with all the other local churches uh, that is to show the uniqueness of who God is in a world that is very uh, broken, very, very broken, and in the midst of people's hearts that are very broken, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a broken one as well. So, but God is certainly so much greater. Well, this morning we want to return to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and so grab a Bible or something there that you can uh, look on and... Uh, Read God's Word. We were here last week, and, uh, and what we're doing over these weeks is we just live in a recognition that because we are broken people, it is so easy for us to drift. And, and oftentimes, it's not the drift into evil or bad for Christians, it's the drift into good and being satisfied with good when God has glorious for us to live in what we can pull off in our own energy and strength rather than living in the power of the Spirit and allowing Christ to manifest Himself in a way that our world desperately, desperately needs to see. And, uh, and we just recognize that as a church body. And so we're spending these weeks um, going through uh, how we have defined our purpose and what our mission is and what that looks like which is a very concerted effort to make sure that we don't drift, that we, that we keep getting pulled back to this glorious calling that God has upon our lives to manifest His glory to each other in our marriages, our homes, in our single life, whatever it might be. And, uh, and so we're camping here in Ephesians 4 uh, last week, this morning, we'll be here for a couple more weeks and just pulling out different aspects of what's going on here. And so I want to jump in at verse 7 this morning, read down through verse 16, and then uh, 
move from what we talked about last week into more specific application this morning. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, Jesus measured out gifts according to grace. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, uh, we just, Stephen introduced this Sunday as Ascension Sunday, uh, Paul links this that he's saying back to the Lord's ascension. He led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. With the Lord Jesus now gone, the Spirit of God comes and he gives the Spirit to believers so that believers will accomplish what Jesus did while he was here in the flesh. And so he gave that. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is, a, is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. It was Jesus that descended, he humbled himself to come to this fallen earth, and then he has ascended back into heaven. And what's the point of all that? The end of verse 10 so that he might fill all things. It's a continual emphasis as you go through the book of Ephesians that God is at work filling all things with himself, with Jesus, uh, with the Spirit who, who brings glory to Jesus. Because when Jesus gets honored and glorified, that's life. That's the reality. That's the glorious Reality that we need to experience, live in, and make known. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for those who are followers of Jesus, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And then he describes this process of how saints who followers of Jesus who are already right with God, how they spiritually grow for the building up of the body of Christ, how they become who they already are as saints, if you will, and how leaders in the church have the responsibility to facilitate and to fuel that process of maturity. And so he describes on one end, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's, let's ask God to bless these verses and make them real for us this morning. Spirit of living God, we do pray that you would come and that you would open our eyes to not only give us a glorious glimpse of what you designed uh, the church to be and this church to be, but Lord, uh, where we're at in all this. 
And uh, Lord, help us to grow up and move to another level today and help us to know how to help other people grow up as well uh, so that, Lord, uh, we would be a local church body that is being built up in love. Thank you for your gift to us, and uh, we just look forward to how you're going to land this thing. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we talked about last week, um, uh, our purpose statement is this. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. So our purpose statement is that we exist to reflect the glory of God in community. And you can see that in several ways here as you go down through it, Um, especially verse 16. Uh, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Uh, that is a love that is supernatural. That's agape love. It's a, it's a community that lives in, in selfless love towards other people. That only comes from God. And it is, it is to be the norm within a local church body. And so we're to reflect the glory of God in the church community. How do we do that? We go and develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ. How do how we see that in this passage? We see that in that there is this progression that he describes in verses 13 down through verse 16. And he says that there are children, there are spiritual children, and, and they are to grow up into the description there in what? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And we are to grow up until there's the fullness of Christ from children. And he describes children there as what? Those who are tossed here and there by every truth that comes down the pike. And, uh, and so here's the point on this continuum. There are people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But once they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they are now children of God, but they're still immature. Why are they immature? Because they're ignorant. They don't know a lot of realities about who God is, and consequently, there is an, an instability to their life. They're just thrown all over the place. And part of what God calls the church to do is to help these children grow up into the fullness of Christ uh, so that there's a unity uh, within the body and there's the knowledge of the Son of God being a perfect man and all that. So we talked about this last week and we said not only is it a movement from ignorance to knowing Christ, it is also, which then results in not being... uh, tossed here and there, but it results in a stability, but there's also a movement from independence to interdependence, and that's a huge point in this passage. One of the things that characterizes spiritual children is they're independent, and one of the works that God does is He moves them from being independent to being interdependent, where their identity is somewhat and largely wrapped up in being a part of God's family. And that becomes very important to them. As I pointed out last week, every generation kind of has their own twist on independence. 
my generation, it was, I don't need you. I'll pull myself up. Uh, the younger generation, it tends to be, you can believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe, and everybody's right. And even some of the whole victim thing, it's never my fault. It's just, a, just an independent. So we all have this. You can read about it in Genesis 3. It started right there. It's not my fault. It's that woman you gave me, God. So anyway, it's always been present, but we're to grow up. Now, we capture this in two statements of knowing God and engaging as family. It's part of what it means to be a growing follower of Jesus, and it's part of our calling to help whoever is not as far along as we are to help grow up, to know God, and to engage as family. The longer statement that we, as we say this as, is knowing God and living our lives according to the Bible. And that's where the knowledge of the Scriptures defines what it looks like and how we are to live in engaging as family in God's church to become more like Jesus. God designed the family of God to be the place where the people of God grow to become more like Christ. And in this passage, it is all together that we are then uh, living and attaining to the unity of the faith you can't do that all by yourself. You've got to be in, in the midst of a church family and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As we said last week, that's all singular. And so there is that growing up in the community of Christ. Now, as, I, as we walked through last week, we said in the next verses, in fact, the rest of the book, it describes a lot of different areas where you grow up in the knowledge of God, and you grow up in, uh, in engaging as the family. Uh, for the next three weeks, we're going to just look at three of these aspects. Next week, we're going to look at how am I to serve in the body of Christ. Because in verse 16, it says, the whole body is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. What that means is every believer is to be connected and it supplies things to the body of Christ so that the fullness of Christ will be experienced and manifested to the world. That means that every one of us that know Jesus, God gives us an abundance of His grace and other things that is to flow through us into the body of Christ. Next week, we're going to look at spiritual gifts and how we are to serve. Everybody has a place to serve in the body of Christ. In two weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be in relationship with each other, specifically emphasizing life groups. This morning, we're going to look at money and the finances and how in relationship, there's finances that are to flow from God through us into the body of Christ. Now, where do we get that from? Look at verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. And so God says, one of the ways that I change people is, is they move from using all of their finances and thinking money is all for them, and I move them to work, first of all. That's a big transition for some people, Right? I move them to work, but not just to work for themselves, but what's the verse say? 
so that they would have something to what? To give to the one in needs. That's a transformational work of the Spirit in growing us to know God and to engage as family. So that's what we want to look at this morning. So here's three foundational truths about, um, about money and stuff, okay? Money and stuff. And boy, anyway, I won't go off on that tangent. Okay, so here's the, here's the first thing we need to know about it. This thing is not cooperating this morning, or it's just a little slow. Okay, there we go. God created people in His likeness, which means He created people to be what? Generous. God is a generous God. Would you agree? I mean, we spent most of a while singing about that, right? And He created us in His image and likeness, Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and He created us in such a way that we would be like Him. And so he created us to live in his generosity and for that generosity to flow through us. And that is very, very important. I mean, just go back and read Genesis 1 and read about how God describes the paradise that he created before he created Adam. And you'll find a very generous creation that he put Adam in. Why? To enjoy that abundance. And then he brings him Eve, and he says, whoa, she's it. Just an amazing provision of generosity as a helpmate to come alongside him. And then he gives them the command to, to, to rule and to reign over creation, to have dominion. What was God saying there? He's saying, live in my generosity and pass that generosity onto the rest of creation so that all creation will know I'm a generous God. I'm a generous God. And that's what it meant to be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply the generosity of God as you live in His generosity. Now, what happened? Well, they chose not to live in His generosity. And they believed the one that Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. And so sin brings death to generosity, which means what? It turns us from being generous to having a default position of being greedy. It shows up in a couple of ways. It shows up in the way of get, 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 get. This is why advertising is so blasted effective. It appeals to that part of our heart. And even when we're generous, we're often generous because what? Of what we will get back in return. It's often manipulative in what we will get in return. And so sin brings death to generosity, and, and it creates a sense of greediness. And boy, our culture is, is just moving more and more this direction, just like all cultures do that move away from God. And so we're ending up more and more of children saying to their parents, you owe me, you owe me. Even the whole idea of, I don't want to get too political here, but even the whole idea of signs that say universal health care is a human right. 
You see, it's all this result of sin. People don't know that. But there's this, you owe, you owe, you owe me. Uh, it's, I get, I get, I get. And it's all because of sin brings death to the generosity of God and the generosity of God flowing through us into other people. Now, thankfully, there's good news, isn't there? God's gift of eternal life transforms. And He transforms us from get to give for what I can get. And it brings us back into the generosity of God in Christ so that what? Then we grow in being generous people again. That's why I call this gospel giving. It's gospel giving. It's the good news that when you begin to live your life under King Jesus, he, we live in His abundance. I came that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. Not just for me, not just for you, but so that that abundance would flow through us and not just in the money areas but that it would flow through us into the lives of other people. It's Romans 8.32 that tells us, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us, who can finish it? All things. All things. And so God is at work in this transition, and that's why he says in 428, man, stop stealing, start working. That's a step in the right direction. But don't just start working for you. Start working so that you'll have something to give because you're now connected with other people. And God expects through those connections for the generosity of God to flow into your life and through your life into other people's lives. And part of that is money and stuff. It's not all of it, but it's part of it. It's part of it. So this then raises kind of the question of why work? Why work? You ever ask yourself that question? Why work? Let me give you four reasons of why work. Okay, God created us to work. This is a revolutionary thought to many people. Most of us, many of us thought for a long time work was a result of sin. No work was around before the fall. Genesis 2.5, before sin ever entered the world. The Scriptures tell us when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. In other words, it hadn't started doing anything yet. Why? Because there was no man to work the ground. God, God designed work. He created us to work. He also created us to rest, by the way. Okay, that's a subject for another day. But uh, God created us to work. So here's the deal. Work is a divine word, not a dirty word. Okay? That's why Paul says to the Ephesians, start laboring. Get back to the way God designed you. Start working with your hands. Second reason of why work, it puts us with people to live for God's glory. It, most of us working spend more time with other people and we can witness to the glory of God by the quality of work we do, as well as the relationships we have with the people we work with, right? I mean, 
So many of you are spending eight, 10 hours a day with people. Why work? Well, one of the reasons is, is he's got you right there in a mission field. So that when you do work to the glory of God, it will show the glory of God. When you're ethical, when you work hard, and all of those things that come because you're a follower of Jesus, and it puts you in relationships where you can talk to people, and people will talk to you because their life is hard too. And so it puts us with people, and so work is witness. It's a great place to witness by our life as well as our lips. Third, third reason here is it provides for self and the household. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I don't know how you said it any more strongly than that, huh? It's, it's just a reality. A following, being a follower of Jesus means you provide for your household. Now, that doesn't mean that at points in time God may put us between the rock and the hard spot where you're doing everything you can to work and provide and it just isn't coming together. In Acts chapter 2, one of the dynamics of the early church was when people became followers of Jesus, they lost their jobs because they're now followers of Jesus. And that's part of what the church did. They would sell, Barnabas sold his land so he could meet the needs of people who needed basic needs met. Here in 1 Timothy, it's addressing lazy followers of Jesus. And it says, part of being a follower of Jesus is you will work and you will provide for your family. And the fourth reason, the one that we're looking at this morning, is, um, well, this is going to develop patience for me or something here. Okay, is it provides for the proper working of the body. That's verse 16, Ephesians 4. It provides for the proper working of the body because the church is to be radically different than any other community in the world. And, and God takes care of his people in the church family so that there is giving and receiving that constantly goes on. There's giving for the sake of perpetuating the mission and the purpose of the church. And that's what we're emphasizing this morning. Now, we have a brochure in the back there that says giving what we believe. We have a whole series of little brochures say what we believe on different areas. And in this brochure, it talks about a lot of other stuff about what we believe about giving other than what I'm just saying this morning. And it even has a budget for our regular ministry budget. So let me just tell you how this practically works here at Calvary. Um, if you want to see the budget, if you're one that that's of interest to you, there it is, and there's a copy of, of it back there. Just feel free to pick it up this morning. Uh, we have a general ministry budget out of which the core of the life at Calvary Baptist takes place. It's what pays for our campus and all the stuff that it takes so that we can meet in here this morning. It's what pays salaries. It's what pays for our vehicles. It's what pays... Uh, for all of that, it's money that also goes into ministries to fund various ministries. Uh, there's a, a, a portion of it that is sent to pay missionary salaries uh, so that they can be out there in those places that you and I will never touch uh, so that they can bring the gospel to those other places. Our ministry budget is the core 
of, of who we are. I mean, that's our bread and butter, so to speak. That's our life. And, um, and that's what we encourage all of us to give to on a regular basis. And uh, because that's the life of the ministry. There's a lot of unglamorous things like paying the electric bill. But any of you that have a household, you know that's part of the deal, right? And, um, and so, on top of that, we have some various ministries that we do uh, in special giving projects. And uh, they're important ministries. I don't want to minimize their importance, but if, if the rest of it drives up, those dry up. And so what we do is we lay this before the church family periodically, and we say, if the Spirit prompts you to give above and beyond what you're giving to our regular ministries, then here's an opportunity to give. Because oftentimes the Lord will prompt us to give above and beyond. Uh, sometimes out of our abundance, because that's just the season we're in. Sometimes it's a test of faith, of seeing what we'll trust Him for. And so this morning in your bulletin, we introduce uh, four of those that we're going to emphasize during June. And they're on the back of your bulletin there. And, uh, and so during June, we're just going to emphasize these special giving opportunities. Now let me just say this as clearly as I can. If you're not giving at all, don't begin giving to these. If you're not giving at all, get into the habit of giving to the ministry fund. Again, that's just the life of, of Calvary Baptist Church. Begin giving to that. If you're already giving to the ministry fund, then it, would you just ask the Lord if He wants you to give to one of these four uh, opportunities. Sponsor a kid helps our two summer children's camps um, because while we charge some, it doesn't uh, cover the full cost of children coming to that camp. Partners in education, you're going to hear a testimony either next week or the next week, following week, from one of our ladies who's gone through Partners in Education. It's a mentoring program where kids that are into co in, in college get mentored spiritually, they get held accountably spiritually, and they get some financial help. Uh, that financial help comes from this. Our Indonesia team, we have a group of 12 from our young adult ministry going to Indonesia the last two weeks in July. And, um, and that's what that's for. They're going over there to multiply the ministry of one of our missionaries, the Humbles, in doing cultural tourism. And then our kitchen, our kitchen needs help. Okay, it was redone when I came here 27 years ago. And uh, it's used by a lot of different people. It just needs help. If you doubt that, walk through it, okay? And, uh, and you'll be convinced. So what we ask you to do, if you're already given to the regular ministry fund, just consider and ask the Lord if He wants you to give to any one of these, or you can give it to the June special opportunities, and we'll move it into whichever one of these four most needs it, okay? And so that's, that's what we ask you to do, and we'll keep putting that before you over the next few weeks. All right, here's what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to get us started on just looking real quickly at uh, a lengthier uh, section of, uh, of information on giving. So turn in your Bibles over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And I really want to just end by reading... This is probably one of the most extended portions on giving. 
in Paul's letter. In fact, if you would, flip over to the very end of the first letter to the Corinthians, before we jump into chapter 8 there, 1 Corinthians 16. And Paul's writing to a local church. It's in Greece, modern-day uh, Greece. And uh, 1 Corinthians 16, before we jump into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints. Here, here's the deal. The, the believers in Jerusalem were suffering horribly for their faith and also because God was bringing His judgment upon Jerusalem for the rejection of Christ as the Messiah. And, and, and their whole economy was down the tubes. And so here's a church in Corinth that's pretty well to do. And, and they were taking a collection from them to send to Jerusalem to help their brothers and sisters. And he had talked to them about it before, so here he reminds them, um, and it's not just you, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. And here's his guidance. On the first day of the week, every week, that would be Sunday, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. The Scripture several times knows our tendency that good intentions on giving don't work. you got to lay it aside every week or what happens to it? It gets spent on other things. And uh, that really comes out in chapters 8 and 9. Um, and so just on the first day of the week, uh, as the Lord has prospered you, so that no collections be made, literally, so that I don't have to drag all of this out of you when I show up. Verse 3, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and, it is, as it, and if it is fitting for me to go also, then they will go with me. There's always this sense of accountability for the money that God gives in the Scriptures. And always you send some people to make sure that this money is delivered to the saints in Jerusalem. That is always wound into this thing of being a, of reproach when it comes to money. Okay, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're not going to get through all of 8 and 9. I hope to whet your appetites and I hope you'll read the rest of it uh, on your own. Chapter 8. So it's, it's a year later. Paul is writing this letter. And he, he knows that the Corinthians are just like all other believers, that their good intentions that he expressed to them about setting aside money for this offering easily slides off the radar screen. And so he writes chapters 8 and 9 just to, 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 to get it back on there. And he also knows that if he shows up, to collect the offering, two things will happen. Well, three things could happen. Some people have been setting aside, and they'll be able to give it cheerfully. Other people have not been giving. They've been spending it on other things, and now they feel guilty, and they feel shame because they made a commitment that now they can't keep. Some of the people in order to keep their commitment, will go out and do things they ought not to do to get the money to give to that. And this is the day before credit cards. And so he writes chapters 8 and 9 just to, to teach them and remind them to stay faithful at this. And let's just read a couple of these verses. 
Chapter 8, verse 1, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. Okay, so here's the deal. Macedonia was north of Corinth. It was kind of uh, the other side of the tracks. Do we still use that term today? The other side of the tracks. Corinth was wealthy, well-to-do. Macedonia was just not as well-to-do, Okay. And so he, he's going to use the church in Macedonia to teach the, the ones not so well to do, to teach the ones that are pretty well off. And so he says that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their libera- liberality. He says, listen, this church that is in deep affliction, they were bubbling over with joy. There was a sense of joy that does not match their circumstances. And in fact, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. This is a glorious work of God, isn't it? This is just the way God works. Verse 3, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. You know God has done a work in people's lives when they're in poverty and they beg you to be able to give to something. Right? That's a glorious work of God. Would you agree? That's just part of this transformation that He does. And He says it happened in that church. And this, not as we had expected. Paul says, this blew my mind. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. He says, you want to know the key of all this? They first gave themselves to the Lord. And when you give yourself to the Lord, He's going to change you into a generous person because you're going to live in His generosity, and that generosity is going to flow through you into the lives of other people. All right, well, we better stop there just because of time. I would encourage you to read through the rest of that chapter and on into chapter 9. But God wants us to be a Macedonian kind of church, and He wants to be, us to be very generous believers. And so let's pray. Father, thank You for being so generous to us. Thank You for the riches that we have in Christ, and yeah, it's money and stuff, and it's so much more all by Your grace. And God, uh, You know where each one of us are at on this, and You know what it would look like for You to transform us And take us another step further in living in your generosity and being generous. So thank you, Spirit of God, that you'll speak specifically to each one of us concerning what our response should be. And man, you're just so good at this and perfect. And so we wait upon you, speak clearly, and we will obey you. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.